going to talk about the Holy Spirit today. You know, we're doing this Bible boot camp. We're talking about the basic beliefs of the, of the Christian church. And we've talked about the Bible, and we've talked about the church and Jesus. We talked about sin one week, sin and the swine flu. And today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, you know, the Bible says these things to us like this. is you should live by the Spirit. It says you should walk by the Spirit. You should be filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says you should be in step with the Spirit. No, keep in step with the Spirit, which means what? That you can get yourself out of step with the Spirit. If anybody has ever felt that way before of being out of step with the Spirit, I've felt that way before many times in my life that I'm out of step with the Spirit. How, how do you find yourself in a place where you're in step with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. How does that happen? We want to talk a little bit about that today. But before we do, we actually need to talk about what, what do we believe? What does the Bible you know, show us that we should believe about the Holy Spirit? So let's just pause and pray and uh, ask the Spirit to guide us. Uh, Holy Spirit, we invite your presence here today. Uh, just make your presence known. Uh, help us to understand the scriptures we're going to take a look at today, Lord, uh, help them to make sense. Um, inspire us today. In Christ's holy name we ask. Amen. All right, I'm going to rattle through a number of these things. Oh, thank you. Thank you, my good man. You're all right. I care what I just said about you. You're all right. All right. The Holy Spirit is God. There's your first fill in the bank. If you like to follow in that blue program and you want to fill those blanks, I'm going to rattle a bunch of them off to you really quick here. But the Holy Spirit's God. We need to kind of clear up that confusion because some, sometimes it is. Like some people, you know, think that the Holy Spirit's like this impersonal force out there that's just kind of doing things. But that's not what the Scripture suggests. This isn't like Star Wars and the Holy Spirit is like the good force and the devil's like the bad force. But this, this is the Holy Spirit is God. In Acts chapter 5, there's a great story because... This, this husband and wife team had, had lied to Peter. They had lied to the church about something. And Peter says, and you know what? You've lied, to the Holy, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And what you've done here is you've lied to God. That's a terrible thing what you've done here, that you've lied to God. And so, he says the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is personal. Here's another thing. The Holy Spirit calls and the Holy Spirit convicts. Calls and convicts. Revelation 22 says the Holy Spirit's like, you know, hey, okay, this is the way to go. Let's go this way. Come on, let's move. So the Holy Spirit calls us in a certain direction. But the Holy Spirit also convicts. Ooh, that's a tough word, conviction. So it's like when we're headed the wrong direction, the Holy Spirit's like, whoa, whoa, wrong way. Turn around. Come back this way. You're headed in the wrong direction. We have a very theological term for this. It's called repent or repentance. The word simply means to do an about face. It means to turn around, head the other way. And the Holy Spirit does that brings conviction. That's what Jesus told us in John chapter 16. All right. What else does the Holy Spirit do? I think this one is really cool, actually. And it is the Holy Spirit prays for you. Check that out. That's pretty good. Romans 8, 26 simply says that the Holy Spirit prays for you. I think about myself, my, my own life sometimes. So I, I, I have times where I'm like desperate for some kind of answer for God or whatever, and I can't even figure out how, how can I pray about this? How can I formulate a a, a sentence that makes sense and I can offer up to God, God, I, I need help. Wouldn't it cool that I could stop or you could stop right now today? Whatever you've got going on in your life, you say, you know what, Holy Spirit, Mr. Holy Spirit, uh, could you pray for me up there? Uh, I am in need. You know, we have prayer, the prayer team, we have a prayer team here and every Sunday, you know, they're in that room over there, we have communion and they'll pray for you if you want to be prayed for, you can go to the prayer team. And sometimes they line up up front here at the end of the service and they stand up here and if anybody wants to be prayed for, they'll come up here. 
right? And that's cool, and people do, and that's an awesome thing. It's very biblical. But, you know, what if, what if, what it would be like, you know, if you had the prayer team up here, and I was standing up here one day, and then here you had the Holy Spirit standing. Who's, whose line do you think would be longer? Like, if you were coming up, who would you have pray? Would you have me pray for you? Would you have the Holy Spirit pray for you? Well, if it was me, and you were on the prayer team, and the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to go to the Holy Spirit and say, could you pray? Because it feels like he carries a little more weight than, than anything else. Check this out. You could ask the whole, you could line up in front of the Holy Spirit right now today and say, could you, I need a prayer. Could you pray for me? Think about that for those of you who need prayer today. Stop and ask the Spirit to pray for you. The Holy Spirit changes you. We're told that in Galatians chapter 5. It says that the Holy Spirit, here's what he produces when he fills your life. Here's what happens. Here's, here's what he does in your life. He produces nine things. We call them the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is anybody here that needs more self-control? Don't raise your hand. Is anybody here that needs more self-control out late on a Saturday night? You know, do you need more self Would the Holy Spirit will help you with self-control? In an unloving world, do any of us need to be more loving? In an impatient world, sitting in traffic, what has happened with the traffic in the last three weeks? It's gone absolutely insane insane i was coming back last night midnight i wasn't out doing anything bad i was out with my son it was midnight last night and i drive across the beltway at a standstill what's happening with traffic but in an impatient world we're ready to rip our hair out with all the stuff happening the holy spirit helps us to be patient i don't know about you but man i need the holy spirit to help me with love and patience and joy and self-control and all of these things and this is what he does in our lives the holy spirit guides you is the next one john chapter 16 uses the holy spirit will help to guide you into all the truth if you're trying to figure out the truth about something and i often am just think about this in your place of work if you're trying to discern something to figure out the truth about what you need to do about something and many of us are in leadership positions we've got to figure out the truth about the right direction to take your division or your company or your team or whatever it might be, that you could go to the Holy Spirit and say, you know, would you help to guide me into the truth of this situation right here? This would be very helpful for me. Or you're trying to make a decision about your life, about some personal matter. Holy Spirit, I need you to guide me into the truth about what is best. What is best? I want to choose your best. The Holy Spirit inspires you. Inspires you. Luke chapter 4, we're told that, the, that Jesus Christ was full of the holy spirit most people even people who are not fans of jesus christ will admit that he lived an inspired life an inspired life what would it be like for us to live lives that are not routine and mundane and boring but we could actually live lives that are full of the holy spirit and full of inspiration wouldn't that be a gift to live a life that is inspired the holy spirit inspires us all right here's the last one of these things about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks and sends. Speaks and sends. Holy Spirit speaks. We're told uh, two stories. There's many stories, many, many stories. I gave you just two in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. You've got Peter. He's up on a rooftop, and he's praying, and all of a sudden it says this. And actually, it says, the Holy Spirit speaks to him. He says, hey, Peter, there's three guys downstairs, okay? I want you to go down and greet them, and then I need you to go with them because there's a mission for you to do. Think about that. The Holy Spirit could speak to us in such a way. It's, okay, I've got a mission I want you to do. Acts chapter 13. There was a big church service going on. And everybody's praying and, you know, carrying on and that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden it says the Holy Spirit speaks and says, I want you to set apart Paul and Barnabas. I have a mission for them. You know, God has a mission for every single one of us. Do you know what your mission is in life? 
Do you know what you're, I mean, do you feel like you get up every morning, man, you've got drive. You're not just stuck in neutral. You're not in reverse. You're not in neutral, but you're in drive and you're moving forward because you know what your mission is and you feel good about it. You feel like you're moving forward, that all of us have a mission. All of us can know our mission. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the mission becomes clear. Every church also has a mission. I want to just talk just a second here about being filled with the Spirit. There is so many passages we could look to, but because of time, I want to focus just on one thing here that Jesus talked about. It's very simplistic. It's incredibly simplistic, but it's in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. Let me put some context to it, if I can, for just a second. Jesus is talking about being so filled with the Spirit that it's like you have a river, an actual river, that is so full, so powerful, that it's overflowing for life. Just, he says it's going to pour out of your life, right? So think of like the, like the Potomac River, just raging, a clean, a clean Potomac River, right? Clean, no pollution in the Potomac River, none of the fish there laying on the top, you know, dead, that kind of stuff. But, you know, good Potomac River, live, and it's just pouring out of you because you're just so full of life, the Spirit is moving in your life. That's what Jesus is describing. Now, the context is he was at a feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a remembrance of when the Israelites wandered the desert. Remember Moses and let my people go. They wandered the desert for 40 years. And while they were in the desert 40 years, this is God provided for them. One of the major ways God provided, we all need water. One of the major ways God provided is he gave them water. One time it came out of a rock. Another time it was a big pond. It was filled with bitter water. And God turned the water sweet. All this stuff. But God provided water and desperately was needed. And so for seven days of the feast, well, for six days of the feast, the priest would go, he'd get a big thing of water, and he would do this big ceremony, and then we'd dump the water on the altar and say, oh, God, thank you so much for providing for us. It was vital. We needed. We need water to live. And what Jesus is saying is we need the Holy Spirit on a spiritual level to actually be alive spiritually. And without the Spirit at work in our lives, filling our lives, we're just going to feel like a dried-up prune. Okay? And so on the seventh day of the feast, the priest would come out and do the same thing with water, but this time he'd march around the altar seven times. And he'd take that thing, boom, and down, everybody. And it was on that day that Jesus, it says, he stood up. Now, here's the thing. Why is standing up a big deal? Because rabbis would always sit to kind of teach and instruct. They do this. But when they had something that was really critically important, you know what they would do? They'd stand up, and everybody would like, oh, rabbi's standing up. He would stand up, and everybody was around him. He said, listen. Anybody who wants a river of the Spirit to be flowing in and through your life so you can live an inspired life, a life of mission, of purpose, guided by God, if you want that, here are three things that you need to know. Number one, you need to be thirsty. Number two, there's no place for you to write this down. I didn't put on it. You've got to be thirsty, okay? You've got to come to me, Jesus saying, you've got you to have a come to Jesus moment. You've got to come to me, and then you've got to drink. All right, let's, so let's talk about this. You've got to be thirsty. You know what? I'm not always thirsty. I'm always thirsty. You see people walking around with water bottles? Y'all ever see people walking? Does anybody have a water bottle here that you just can't? It's like your baby. Okay, we're water bottle. We got it. All right, we got a water bottle. Let me tell you something about I, I see. Oh, okay, this is excellent. Thank you. Got the water bottle right here. This is great. So, Sandy, say hi to Sandy. She has the water bottle today. This is excellent, right? So, you know what I notice about people that walk, and this is nice and cold too, Sandy, people that walk around with the water bottle, that most of them, like when they drink it, it's not like, I mean, they're, they're just guzzling it down because they're so thirsty for water. It's like they're doing it out of duty. It's like they just, oh, I gotta do, I gotta drink the water, I gotta drink the water, this kind of thing. Thank you, Sandy. I'm done with the water bottle very much. I don't find my, he's taking a drink. Just by me saying it, Graham had to take a drink over there. It's out of duty. We have to take the sip 
we have to take a sip of the water. But it's out of duty. You know what? When you're really thirsty, you know when you're really thirsty. Like for those of you who like run a marathon or something, or those of us out of shape, we walk around the block and we feel like we're, you know, I gotta, I'm dying here. I'm in a desert. I'm parched. My tongue, I've got to have a drink of water. You know the difference between drinking water and being thirsty, right? You all know that difference. And there's a massive difference between the two. Jesus says, you are thirsty. You are thirsty. And I am not naturally thirsty, everybody. First thing i got to tell you about my, I am not naturally thirsty. And the people I read about in the Bible are not naturally thirsty. Man, it's a God thing. That this thirst, and maybe you've had it hit you at some point in your life. That, man, I really want God in my life. I really want to grow in God. Pray about that. That doesn't come out of nowhere. All right? It doesn't come out of nowhere. you got to pray. Oh, God, i got to be. So if you really want to be filled with the Spirit, point number one, pray for a thirst. Don't pray to drink water. Pray for a thirst. Right? This is like running up to the water fountain. You've got a whole line, and you're so thirsty, you're kicking people out of the way. You're throwing them on the side, and, man, you're going to get to that water. You don't care if it's your grandmother or who is in front of you. You're moving them out of the way because you've got to get to that fountain. Okay? That's the thirst level that we're talking about. And you've got to pray about that. You've got to get there. Number two, come to Jesus. He's got to come to Jesus. Jesus has got to come to me. You've got to be thirsty. You've got to come to me. Come to me. This come to Jesus moment. Jesus is the answer. And then point number three says you've got to drink. What does that mean? Jesus like a big glass of Kool-Aid or I mean what what's the deal? How do you drink Jesus? What does that mean? You ever read stuff in the Bible? What in the world does that mean? I mean the visuals, the image of that, that's what does that mean? The drink of Jesus. When you drink something, everybody, what happens to that thing you just drank? It becomes a part of you. Like fully. There's no separation. It's not like here is the iced tea over here, and here I am here. No, the iced tea is now in me. It's all, like all a part of me. It's who I am. And you know what that is a picture of? That is a picture of discipleship. That is a picture of discipleship from 2,000 years ago. I know we have our own views of discipleship today, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But you know what it meant 2,000 years ago? Here's the deal. You would have somebody, right? And they would go to a person and say, I want to be your disciple. I want to be your follower. There was no formal rabbi system. It wasn't like, you know, this long line... Uh, and I wanted to find a rabbi, and so I went down to the local, local rabbi office, and I just chose which rabbi I wanted to be with. No, it wasn't. It wasn't formal. The way you became a rabbi back in Jesus' day is you went to somebody that you thought, you know what, I want to, be, I want to do everything he does, and you said, can I, be, can I be your follower? And he said yes or no. And if he said yes, then he became your rabbi, and you became his disciple. Okay? This was what would happen in a discipling process. The followers wanted to do everything that their rabbi was doing, right? They wanted to see the way he ate his cereal in the morning. They wanted to see the way he put on his sandals. They wanted to see the way he dealt with his unruly neighbor who got on his nerves all the time. They wanted to see the way he dealt with his boss or his employees. They wanted to see the way he played basketball when a call didn't go his way and he wanted to get angry. They wanted to see everything that the rabbi did because why? They wanted to model it themselves. They, were, they wanted to be clones. They wanted to be robots, so to speak, of the rabbi. Everything he did, they wanted to be a part of. And Jesus said, this is, this is, if you're thirsty and you have that come to Jesus moment and you want to be a true and genuine disciple and you want to do all those things that Jesus did, ah, there you go. If you do those three things, you're going to find yourself at some point filled filled to overflowing to the point that you have a raging river rolling through you of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty awesome. So what are those things, what are those things that we see Jesus Christ doing? I want to take a second here this morning and I want to review, if I can, the mission of Grace Community Church. 
Because we are, does anybody know what the mission of Grace Community Church is? It's a church for people who what? Who don't go to church. It's a church for people. And I want to clarify a few things. And I want to talk about four tangible things we can do in our own discipleship, individually and corporately, to accomplish that all-important mission that God has on. A church for people. I just want to write two words up here. Church. There's churches mentioned twice in that mission statement, right? And the churches are different. So you got the church for people who don't go to church. You got church number one, and you got church number two, right? Be a church. Where did that whole thing come from? Let me give you some background in case you have never read the story on the website before. Where did that whole thing of church people go? When, when Grace Community Church started, uh, I had no idea what the mission was, and it was really important to me. Some of you can identify with this because you're, trying to, you're still searching for your mission and your purpose in life, and it's a miserable place to be when you feel like you don't know what God wants you to do, isn't it? Some of you have been in that place. Some of you in that place right now. I've found myself in that place before. It's miserable. And so I wanted to know, God, what do you want Grace Community Church to do? We floundered around. What, what exactly are we supposed to do? And I prayed and prayed and prayed. And you know what happened? Nothing happened. The all-dreaded nothing happened. I had no idea. I prayed for one month, two months, three months, five months, six, ten, twelve months. Nothing. Zero. Nothing's coming back. And this was my primary prayer to God. What exactly do you want this community of people to focus on and do i really need to know what made it worse i met with this other pastor who had started a church just a few you know months after i did right do you think he knew his mission he knew his mission do you think he knew exactly how he, was, he knew exactly how he's going to cut he knew everything guy knew everything man i walked away from that meeting i felt like dirt and i said god i got to know what the mission is well nothing happened and I went away to a conference, and I was on my way back, and I was on a big DC-10. Anybody have been on a big DC-10 before aircraft? Okay. The three of you have flown before. That's excellent. Okay. The, the DC-10, for the rest of you who have never been on one, can I describe it just real quick? Aircrafts. I love airplanes, okay? So I think, if I remember right, there's like three sections, like three banks of seats. you got the back, and you got the middle, and you got the front. That's where the rich people sit. They sit up in the front section. Business class, first class. I've walked through it before. I've never had the chance to sit down in the seat. Okay, and so you have five seats in the middle and two seats on the side, and there'll be banks like that, boom, boom, boom. Through. I was in the back. I was all the way in the back of the bus, right? I was all in the back, and I was praying all the way home. God, what mission do you want? Great. What is it that you want us to do? And about halfway through the flight, at about thirty thousand feet, all of a sudden I felt this. I want you to be a church for people who don't go to church. I thought, Whoa. It was so strong, I stuck my head up, you know, like a rooster, and I looked around the seats. I thought, you know, that was so powerful, maybe other people could actually hear that. And you know what I realized? There was nobody around. There was, I was in a section all by my, empty. There wasn't a flight attendant. There was no people, empty. And I said, this is weird. This is really weird. But it was so clear, it was so strong. And I want to talk about what that means. Because I've thought about it for the past seven years since that hit me. What does it mean? And sometimes my thoughts are, well, does that mean that we're kind of watered down? Does that mean since we're a church, people don't go to church, like people are like turned off by church or bored by church or burned by church? We got to be, so we got to kind of water things down a little bit to kind of receive them in. We got to dumb things down. Does that, is that what it means? Some people feel that. That's what, I've actually had people say that to me. I've said that phrase to other pastors before, and they, you know, you can tell when somebody kind of turns their lip up a little bit, like they don't appreciate what you just said. You know what I'm saying? They're, I'm very observant. They trained us in seminary to do these kind of things. We observe what people do. We understand. So, uh, I think, you know, is that what it means? In order for us, there's two churches again in the, in the mission. A church for people who don't go to church. In order for us to be church number one here for the people in church, we all understand what this is, right? 
These are people that don't go to church. Doesn't get more complicated than that, right? They're burned, bored, or apathetic, or totally turned off, don't have time for, could care less, and aren't going to church. But when they do come to church, what are they looking for? This is what I want to say to you. In order for us actually to accomplish this mission, doesn't mean we have to water it down. Doesn't mean some people say, well, you're one of those secret churches. Doesn't mean we have to water it down, have a less of a commitment, anything like that. Actually, in order for us to accomplish this mission right here and to be this kind of church, means that our commitment level has to be radically higher. Means that our call to discipleship has to be radically higher. Because these people, when they darken the door of this place and when they come, they're not looking for some rote, mundane, go-through-the-motions place that is not filled with the Spirit. They're actually looking to come in and to connect with God. Because one of the primary things people are looking for that don't go to church, when they darken the doors of a church, they're looking to encounter God. And that, my friends, isn't going to happen unless that church is filled with the Spirit. And that church will not be filled with the Spirit unless they're thirsty, coming to Jesus, and are being disciples. Does that, I hope that makes sense. This is, not a, this is not an insider's club. You know what? Our, our, naturally, what we naturally do is we descend in our lives and, and within organizations. We descend. We descend into certain things. We descend into pride. We descend into, hey, this is me. This is my church. This is about us, right? Us right in this room. And anybody else that walks in that might walk in the door, you know, we're like, hey, this is, you know, if you want to be a part of it, well, then you, you become a part of what we are because we're not going to open up to being a part of what you are. Is that making sense? We do this, and as things go on and on and we institutionalize ourselves, we become more about rules. Instead of about the spirit of the law, we are about the letter of the law, right? And so when Jesus comes along, Jesus was the original church for people who don't church, go to church, guy to guy. Because he went to the church, people say, oh, well, let's break this deal up. What you're doing is boring. What you're doing is all about just the letter of the law. You got all these rules all over. Hey, come on. And he got on those guys harder than anybody else. All I'm simply saying is if we're going to accomplish this mission, let's be clear right now. This will take a radically higher commitment to being a follower of Jesus Christ, not a lower commitment. This is truly get out on the edge and become a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. So when these people walk in, they actually meet a church that is filled with the spirit of the living God. Not because we say we're spirit filled with the spirit of the living God, because we actually are. And there's a massive difference between those two things. So let me tell you about four things that I see as I read through the Gospels about Jesus Christ and what it means to fully follow him as our rabbi, that we're going to model our lives. I see four things, and I want to talk about filling the gaps. And you're going to hear me say that phrase over and over, and Derek say that phrase, and different people say that phrase over, because in order for us to accomplish the mission, we've got to fill the gaps. We have to fill the gaps over and over and over again. And here's what the gaps mean. The G stands for this, groups, groups. This is what Jesus Christ did. Jesus was in a group. He was in a group of 12. What do we call that group of 12? Anybody know? His disciples, Jesus and the disciples. He was in another group. He was in a group of four. What do we call those guys? There's more disciples. Right? Peter, James, and John. It's, but he had a group. He had this small group of four guys that he hung out with. And he had this larger group of 12 guys. And it wasn't optional. He did this, and it's not optional for us if we're actually going to follow Jesus Christ. This is a main thing he did. You can't read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, everybody, without realizing that Jesus was in this group. It's not like, oh, I missed it. I didn't realize he was a part of a group. No, you know it, man. You know he was in a group. Does everybody know you're in a group? Right? All right? If you're here, I only, if you're not a follower of Christ, tune me out right now. All right? If you're a follower of Christ, does everybody know you're in a group? Because they sure as heck knew it about Jesus. They sure did. 
There wasn't, maybe, maybe he wasn't, no, he was totally in a group. So we talk about community groups around here. We talk about prayer groups. We talk about life groups. We're going to talk about something in 2010 because I've just been just totally into this discipleship thing recently, what it meant to be a disciple 2,000 years ago and what it looked like, and it's actually fascinating. It's a lot different than maybe what we think it is. Jesus Christ was in this group, and, and to be a disciple, we want to we talk about in 2010, as we move into next year, we talk about getting into a discipling group and setting it up the same way that it was set up around Jesus Christ. We're going to talk a lot about that. You've got to get in a group. We don't grow in isolation. We need accountability. You know what? I need accountability. And what I find is I move away from accountability, right? I, I tend to drift away from accountability. I don't want somebody holding me accountable, holding me accountable to reading the Bible and praying and, you know, being careful about the things I do in my life. But that's what you, that's what you have because we need accountability. And it helps us. There's a bunch of you are, that are, are involved in this New Testament challenge, reading through the New Testament in like 10 weeks. I can't tell how many people have come to me and said, you know what, if it wasn't for this accountability of this New Testament challenge that I signed my name to, I would have never read the New Testament. And you know what? And they'll say this, I have always wanted to, I just never would have done it. We need accountability. I naturally, I'm a born drifter. I don't know about you, but I am a born drifter. And I drift away from accountability, and I drift away from relationships. I drift away from God. I drift away from my wife. I drift away from my purpose. I drift away from my kids. I'm a drifter. I am a drifter. And we need accountability so we don't drift. drift. Jesus was in a group. That's the G. What's the A? The A is assemblies. The Bible tells us that you should not give up the assembling together. What's an assembly? You're doing it. You get a check on your discipleship chart today. Go home and mark the check down. You came to church, and Jesus loved church. He went to church. He went to church all of his life. That's another thing you can't miss as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about the life of Jesus Christ. He was always going to church, and it started young with him. When he was like 12 years old, his parents took a trip from Nazareth up to where? To Jerusalem. And they got done, and they left. And they're on their way home, and they got a big caravan of people, and they're going home, and they say, hey, you know, Joseph says to Mary, where's Jesus? And he said, I don't know where. I thought you had him. You know, and then you got that common thing between husbands and wives. Where's the kids? That's your place. All right? All the parents know exactly what I'm talking about right now. Where is he? You said you had him. Okay. They said a few ugly words to each other, and then they decided to go back to Jerusalem and look for him because the last place they saw him. They get back there. Where was he when they got back? They searched the whole city, and the final place they looked was where? Anybody know? Church. And where was he? Church. He's, he's, you didn't know that I had to be in church? You know, I had to be, got to go to church. Look, everybody, if, if we are going to fulfill that mission to be a church, we actually have to be fully committed to showing up to church on Sundays in busy Washington with so many other options for us out there. If we're going to be full-blown disciples of Jesus Christ, we actually have to work. And there's a lot of mornings, right, that you don't want to get up and go to church. There's a lot of mornings that I don't want to get up and go to church. I'd rather just sleep in. But I've got to come to church. Why? Because I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be a disciple. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. I want to read you uh, an email real quick that I got from somebody who visited here not too long ago. It's a little harsh, okay? And then I want, I want to explain it because I have a few uh, thoughts about it. So this is somebody who, who uh, visited Grace and then shot me an email. They just wanted to tell me their impressions. So they said this. Um, 
We attended your church, your 930 service. You guys are off the hook if you're 11 o'clock people because this is harsh. So we can just say, ah, the 930 people really screwed it up. Um, and I wanted to let you know my impressions. The greeters greeted us when we entered the school. But after that, no one in your, I like the way they write it, in your congregation spoke to us. In fact, only two people actually made eye contact with us. And although I smiled and nodded, they're a wonderful person, smiling and nodding. I smiled and I nodded to that them. They immediately looked away. And I found that to be quite disheartening. Your lack of friendliness was overwhelming. Wow, that's interesting. You know why that's so interesting? It's because when I ask people their impressions of Grace Community Church, one of the first things is, that, man, it's just so welcoming. It's incredible. It's just so incredibly welcoming. We had a group of 20 people that last Sunday were here at this 11 o'clock service from a brand new church. Hasn't started yet. They're getting ready to plan it out in Fairfax County. They wanted to come here and check out what we do because for some reason they thought we knew what we were doing. And so they wanted to come and just watch and they wanted to come observe. And so then I went out to lunch with the pastor this past week. And so after he asked me his questions and we did all that kind of stuff like that because they're planning for the start of their church, I said, okay, now tell me. What am I not seeing? What, you know, what, was, what was good? What was bad? His first, his first reaction was, I got to tell you, very welcoming, incredibly welcoming. And the moment I walked in, very welcoming. I love the old guy out front. And who loves Big Russ? Right? <laughs> love the, I love the old man out front. Man, he was awesome. I mean, you, you got to get more of him because he was just, fan- I felt so welcome. It was just such a wonderful time. So I thought about this person that wrote the email, and I'm just thinking, oh, what does this mean? What happened? What happened there? Was it just a blip on the radar screen or was it, is it a bigger thing? You know what? We asked you all to do a survey, online survey, um, about a year or so ago, and it was called Reveal. Now, what it did it, it is, is we were part of a much larger survey that all kinds of people are doing. It was surveying churches of a similar vein to us, if that makes sense. All right? And here's what we found out. This is very important to this. Very important. So hear me out on this. When you put people in four different levels of spirituality, according to Jesus Christ, okay, four levels of their kind of commitment to Christ, level one, number one, is a person who is not a follower of Christ, you know, haven't made that, they're just, they're kind of checking things out maybe or not checking things out, whatever, okay, that's level one. Level two is somebody who is just, like, brand new, baby, just made that commitment. I'm going to, I think I'm going to be a follower of Christ, that's level two. Level three is... No, I'm definitely a follower of Christ. I'm in it, and I'm wanting to grow. And level four is, man, you wake up every morning with your Jesus on. I mean, you just like, boom, Jesus, are you a Christian? Yes. You know, okay, that's what I'm talking about. When, when you survey churches very similar in theme or whatever to us, okay, what you find is, and here's what's incredible, what you find is, is you got about 50% of that congregation made up of level one and two, and 50% of that congregation made up of level three and four. Right? So you're half and half. So you've got quite a few people who are just made that commitment and another you know, pretty good portion of people who have not made that commitment. They're just kind of checking it out. Now, where do you think we fall in that whole deal? Here's, here's what's so incredible about Grace Community Church and the mission of Grace to be a church people and go to church. We are not 50-50. We are 70. It's not a very good 7. We are a 70-30 split. 70% of us are at levels 1 and 2. 70%. Think about the implications of that. We have a very large and, and incredibly, like it was flagged on the survey, like, whoa, you guys are like way out there. It's 70-30 split. So when I wrote this person back, I said, I, I, first I said, I'm sorry. I did the pastoral Christian thing. Oh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. You know, that kind of stuff. 
Sometimes the people were terrible. Well, you know, this kind of stuff, okay? It's still all the nine... 9.30 service, got a bad attitude of getting up early in the morning. I said all that kind of stuff. And after I said that, I said, you know, I, I want to just share a couple things with you, though. I want to share a couple things with you real quick that you might need, need, need to know. We are a church where people don't go to church. I told them about the 70-30 split. I said, it could very well be you walking in to Grace Community Church, and you're trying to lock eyes with somebody, and you're just thinking to yourself, this is a normal church. And the person I'm looking at is like a full-blown follower of Jesus Christ. That's what you think, and you would have thought falsely. Because the person you tried to lock eyes with and they turned away immediately, they're probably a person who'd been burned by church, bored by church, can't stand church. And the only reason they showed up is they heard the tagline that grace is a church for people who don't go to church. People come in all the time who see that tagline. People come in all the time who hear that mission. Right? They come up to me and say, there's only one reason I'm here. I don't go to church and I saw that mission statement and I've come and trying this place out all the time and so i said to this person you thought you were locking eyes with a full-blown christian what you real what you didn't realize is you were locking eyes with somebody who's completely turned off to the church and maybe even completely turned off on jesus christ and so you coming in and this person who wrote me is a christian you thinking you coming in you know with your christian on and you're judging what's going on here and what you didn't realize is you had a mission within this church yourself to be a follower of jesus christ now here's what i really want to say to you all is this Everybody, if you're a follower of Christ, you're that full-blown, you got your Jesus on, you're in this 30 right here. What if you don't show up to Sunday services? What if you say, I, I'm going you know, to sleep in? What if you're not here to welcome? What if you're not here to worship? What if you're not here to fill up the seats? What if who's really showing up is a bunch of 70s? Well, then we've got all kinds of people refusing to even look at each other. Because people, the number one emotion that the 70 feel when they come in is fear. The number one emotion they feel is fear. So it's like nobody's looking at them. You know, right? Don't want to lock eyes with anybody. Scared to death of what somebody might do. We ha you know, maybe one of the 70 will come in and say, I want to see what happens if maybe I spill coffee on my neighbor or something like that. And you see how they react as a Joe Christian. What are they going to do? They spill the coffee and then they get punched right in the face because the, the person they spill the coffee on, they're not Joe Christian, right? Oh, I'm just saying. Are you, does that make sense? Is any of that making sense? What I'm saying to you, if we are going to be church number one for these people down here at church number two, then getting in a group is not optional. And going to Sunday service, not optional. Now, look, I, you know, okay. All right. I understand people say to me all the time, one of the things I love about grace is there's absolutely no pressure. So don't freak out thinking, oh, my gosh, he's going to start taking attendance and making me feel guilty if I don't come. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm, do, I'm not, do, believe me, I'm not changing. I didn't have some kind of transformation this week or weirdness, okay? All I'm saying is I want to clarify the mission. This is a radical commitment to being a follower, not a watered-down commitment. It's genuine, though, everybody. This isn't let's go do the church thing. No, that's boring. This is about being a genuine follower of Christ who's filled with his spirit. i got two more points in that. The P is this, fill the gaps personal spiritual practices jesus christ was constantly pulling himself away pulling himself away to pray and to talk to god you've got to do that derek and i went to a conference just recently and a guy got up he pastored a church of like twenty thousand people and he made this just really open confession he says look there came a time in my life when i prayed more in church on sunday over the offering publicly than i did all week combined alone with god did that make sense what i just said he wouldn't pray at all all of his prayer time was public prayer time. Look, we, we can't be filled with the Spirit if we're not connecting with God. That one-on-one -on -one personal spiritual practice, it's not going to happen. We have nothing to give. The wells run dry. There's nothing that's there. And the last thing is service. 
service or volunteerism. Uh, Jesus Christ said, I did not come to be served, I came to serve. This morning we had a group of people down at the carpenter shelter and they were serving uh, people who were living there at that homeless family shelter. Do you think if Jesus Christ was an attender here at Grace Community Church that he would maybe, he would go to the carpenter shelter and help out? We have eight people up in Appalachia right now. They're putting a roof on a house for some people uh, in Appalachia. You think maybe Jesus, he was a pretty good carpenter. You think he would go on a trip like that? Maybe check out a trip like that? Now listen, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that, okay, ooh, I'm going to be a full-blown follower of Christ. That means I've got to sign up for every single thing. Absolutely not. You have to be selective. You've got to be spirit-led. But the point is, is that at some point you're serving. How about if Jesus Christ attended grace? Would he sign up for a volunteer team like what Derek talked about last week? Would he be on a volunteer? Would he actually put his name on the paper and say, I'm signing up. I'm going to hold the babies in the nursery. I'm going to come in and set up the chairs, right? I'm going to, I'm going to be a greeter. Would he help with breakdown, be on the sound team? Something? Do you think there's any chance that Jesus Christ would say, you know what, don't put my name on one of those teams. I'm not interested. Is there any chance in the world that he would not do that? I, th- I say no way. So what, what, that, what does that mean to us? What that means to us is if we are going to be full-blown followers of Christ and we want to be filled with his spirit, we've got to do the things that Jesus did. That's what it meant to be a disciple back in Jesus' day. I tell you what, everybody, this whole thing about a church people going to church, we are now nine years old. We're seven years into this mission that God's laid on us. And it's been just recently that whole idea, the whole importance of that mission has just blown itself just sky high in my life like never before. And the only thing I can point to, I understand, is that God is wanting to do something new here at Grace Community Church. Look, it's only taken us nine years to get institutionalized. And it's time for all that to stop. And it's time for us to to say, God, what do you want to do? What new and exciting thing do you want? You know God's all about new stuff? God, if you will open yourself up to the Spirit of God in your life, he will lead you away from boredom and towards adventure. Because that's what he did in the Bible over and over and over again. So we need your help. And here's where we need your help. You have a Connect card. Derek has already made mention of it, okay? But I want you to open up if you have the blue program. I want to show you something we put differently on this Connect card. It says, quick survey question. We need you to put something down there. And it simply says this. What were you looking for when you first came to Grace? We need your input. What were you looking for and what made you come back? We need you to put that down there. You can hand it to me. You can hand it to Derek. I'm going to stand over here on your way out. If you could write something in there, you can drop it in that blue box, okay? But if you could do that, huge help, everybody, massive help. Because this day, you know, when we come to you and we ask you for feedback, it's not because we're trying to make you feel good and important and stuff like that. We're not trying to butter you up. All this data that you give us is vital for us understanding what the Holy Spirit wants to do here in this community at Grace Meet so we can be spirit-led, okay? That's the first thing. All right, now listen. Can I, can I have your attention? I know you're, you're focused. I appreciate you. I'm ripping out. That's awesome. I hear the ripping. Thank you very much. That's wonderful. But I need you to listen because I got one other thing that's like vitally important to us, massively important, okay? This, it's at the end. It's on the left-hand side of each of your rows. It's underneath. If you could take it, there's a packet. They're stapled together. There's three sheets stapled together. Everybody gets... Everybody gets a packet of the three, okay? Everyone just pass it down, all right? Now, let me, let, me, let me explain this, okay? Let me explain this. There's three sheets because we really want you, we really want you to talk to three non-church-going people, like anti-church, don't darken the doors of church people. They're your family, they're your friend, you're the neighbor, 
they're the guy that works next to you or the girl that works next to you at, the, at work somewhere. We need you to talk. And if you don't know any non-church-going people, come and see me. You got, you got your own problem. You're living in your own Christian world, and that's, and that's not good, okay? Jesus knew a lot of non-church-going people, so you got to, oh, please, that's not, okay. Uh, we, we, want you to, we want you to talk to them. We, not more than just sending out an email, we'd like you to hear them. And we gave you three because we hope to get you know, this back from, from everybody. You're just your thoughts. It's pretty self-explanatory. Okay? And if you give, now what we need, it for, we really want this back from you by December the 6th. That's a couple weeks. We really want it back by December the 6th. And here's the reason why. We want to take all that data. We want to make sense of all that data. And then on Tuesday, December the 15th, it's our grace meeting that we have once a year. The big, phew, church-wide meeting we have once a year. We're going to take all the data, and we're going to present it to you that night. And we're going to tell you it's not going to be a boring meeting. Because here's why we know. We're going to take that data, and we are going to do something new. We are tired of doing the same old, same old. We want to be led by the Spirit. I love that Isaiah passage where God says, Behold, I do a new thing. Then he asks the question, Don't you see it? I feel like God's saying a long time to John, Come on, man. I want to do a new thing. Don't you see this? Don't you see it? So I really need your help. We really need you to partner with us on this and need you to pray and need you to consider filling the gaps. We need you to consider filling the gaps because we will never become that church that people are looking for unless we fill the gaps. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much, God, that you lead us toward adventure and you lead us away from boredom, that Holy Spirit, we can actually have you living in our lives in such a full way, such an awesome way, that it's almost like a river is raging in us, a river of purpose, of meaning, of guidance, of healing, of all these wonderful things, God, that you can do in and through our lives. Lord, I just want to pray this one last thing. God, help us, every single person in this room, to be thirsty. Not to drink, God, forget that, but to genuine thirst, like full-blown, knocking people out of the way. I want to get to the water fountain because it's time to take a drink. Help us, God, in Christ's name, amen.